I'm Edward Nersessian, the director of the uh, Helix Center, and I want to welcome you to this joint meeting between the Comité Freud and the Helix Center at the New York Psychoanalytic Institute and Society. Uh, this uh, meeting which has to do with the discontent in the society at the moment uh, was proposed to us by the Comité Freud and uh, Emile Mallet and Marilia, and we are very happy for uh, being able to organize it under our auspices. I will ask the president of the New York Psychoanalytic to Please. say a few oh. words. Dr. Ian Buckingham. Mesdames et Messieurs, chers invités qui étaient venus d'Europe et euh, de notre communauté, bienvenue à la Société Psychoanalytique et de l'Institut de New York et de l'État de New York et des États-Unis. Je suis très reconnaissant, reconnaissant au comité Freud et de Helix, et surtout à Edna Sessien et à son ami Émile Mallet pour la vision et pour l'énergie qu'ils ont apportée à la réalisation de cette conférence. Je tiens à remercier tout le monde pour le dévouement et faire en sorte qu'ils soient être ici aujourd'hui. Nos trois thèmes aujourd'hui concernent la formation de l'identité, l'éducation et le désir de savoir et comment faire pour contrôler religieux, nationaliste, extrémisme. Bien que décrit comme nos trois question distincte, que je pense que nous, en tant qu'analystes, reconnaissons qu'il y a des connexions profondément importantes entre les trois thèmes, qu'il y a un fil commun que nous allons essayer de retracer dans le tissu de nos discussions. Comme analystes, nous nous, nous, nous enforçons d'aider nos patients à réaliser à l'opportunité de l'augmentation de la satisfaction à travers une meilleure compréhension de ce qui se passe dans la vie euh, et psychisme. Je pense qu'un défi pour nous aujourd'hui, comme pour Freud, euh, et plus particulier dans les euh, civilization and its discontents sera de traduire cette compréhension individuelle dans un corps d'idées qui peuvent éclairer les politiques et leur mise en œuvre au niveau, niveau, niveau du gouvernement. Jamais, bien sûr, euh, cela a été si pertinent étant donné les récents événements 
terrible à Paris et San Bernardino. Comment pouvons-nous apporter ces idées, ces idées dans le monde Leur réponse doit sûrement avoir à faire avec le deuxième de nos trois thèmes. Nous devons certainement commencer par l'éducation. Il a souvent été dit que l'Angleterre et l'Amérique sont deux pays divisés par une langue commune. Je pense aujourd'hui et pour l'avenir, nous pouvons avoir de l'espoir dans nos tentatives de décerner les sons du comportement humain. Je pense que nous, de, de, de l'Europe et des Américains, sommes unis dans nos efforts pour nous comprendre grâce à notre pensée au long commun de la psychanalyse et grâce à l'œuvre Sigmund Freud. Bienvenue à tous. Uh, Dr. Mark Smaller, President of the American Psychoanalytic. Le Dr. Smaller est le président de l'American Psychoanalytic Association. Thank you, Ed, and I'd like to thank um, the Helix Center and uh, New York Psychoanalytic for hosting, obviously, a very timely uh, Congress. Um, Marilia asked me last spring if I, I might, uh, when we were in Stockholm, if I might join you, and I'll be able to be here for part of the day. Um, but as I have thought about what this Congress, this committee, will be addressing, um, two things came to my mind. Um, and it began last Wednesday evening, Wednesday afternoon, in between patients, um, I kept getting alerts on my phone that there had been a shooting in San Bernardino in California, about 40 miles east of Los Angeles. Um, I paid attention, but then went back to my patients, and then that evening was meeting my wife for dinner. Uh, we went through the whole dinner, and I completely forgot about the shootings. Um, And I want to just say something about uh, that kind of forgetting. Uh, number one, uh, I, I'm kind of numb, as I think many people are in this country, in terms of the frequency of these mass shootings, whether they be political or just the individual rampage of somebody compelled to kill him or herself and, and, and others. Um, but there, that numbness has set in for me over the last couple years. Um, the other hesitation, I think, that led to my forgetting to, to speak about this is that um, when my wife was six years old, and though the memories are a bit cloudy, um, she was in her first grade class in the North Shore of Chicago and sitting at her desk, and there were, she heard popping noises from outside the classroom. Uh, the next thing she remembers is huddling under her teacher's desk Um, and the teacher telling her and her fellow students to be very quiet. 
and there was more commotion, more popping in the hallway outside the classroom, and then silence. And what had happened was a 30-year-old, very troubled, very disturbed woman, had gone into this elementary school and began shooting children and teachers. Left the school and went and shot down the street some, na- some uh, a house in the neighborhood. Um, this was somebody who had been under psychiatric care, uh, obviously not successful. Um, and uh, so, my he- so every time there is a shooting, my wife relives that trauma. And in that sense, it's close to, to me and to our family. Um, our job, it seems to me, whether um, uh, these kinds of, uh, uh, this kind of violence is individual, uh, of an in- individual who's um, gone mad, um, or uh, a, a group that, on the basis of an ideology, imagines that they have to kill in order to get that ideology across, that is something that psychoanalysts, that this group, and whether in, in Europe or in the U.S. and throughout the world, now we have something to offer. Uh, I was telling someone last night at, at Ed's uh, cocktail party that I spent a day and a half in Washington, D.C. in September with our lobbyists and, um, and visiting staff of congressional leaders. To, to talk about are there ways that we can prevent these kinds of mass shootings. I live in a country that continues to be obsessed with guns and cannot let go of guns. The statistics, if you read the statistics about the numbers of people killed in our country with guns compared to anywhere else in the world, it's, it's shameful. Okay, So we can talk with congressional leaders about that. But what they're also very interested in is they're interested in what we offer in everyday language, a psychoanalytic perspective about what compels an individual to do this. And these kinds of meetings are critical and essential and call us to leave our offices, to stand up from behind the couch and go out into our communities, our larger communities, like you all have come here today, and say something about it because the public is desperate for answers. Because if not, that hopelessness, that helplessness that sets in, that I experience every time I get that CNN alert on my phone that there's been yet another shooting, that numbness sets in and we have to interfere with that. We know something about uh, the, the impact of hopelessness and helplessness that creates that kind of numbness. And through our educating the public and offering what we have, what we've known about the human experience, but also what we can learn from our communities, what we can learn from these acts of violence. We have something to learn as psychoanalysts as well. That's a very important piece of it. But I think if we do that, um, we can have an impact. And even if it just is to save some lives. Uh, On my signature, on my email, I say psychoanalysis now more than ever. Psychoanalysis now more than ever. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Dr. Charles Melman, who is the founder of the Laconian Psychoanalytic Association, International Laconian Psychoanalytic Association.
Dear friends of New York, Montreal, and Paris, <clears throat> there is one thing that surely we have in common with Freud and probably with Lacan as well, and that is that we haven't done any better than they have. What do I mean by that? I mean that we have failed to have academics as well as public opinion take into account the case to the understanding of the world that are provided by psychoanalysis. Let us consider the great and grim problems that we have to face today. We shall perceive that Freud, and probably Lacan as well, showed that we had no choice but interpret and elaborate them adequately if we were to solve them in an adequate way. What does that imply? It implies some form of complicity between former enemies who thus become partners also. They have to be given the information that will take them away from their blind hatred of the other, which is known other than self-hatred. But is there such a thing as justified hatred? This point, however, is not the subject of our discussion today. Freud and Lacan did see that Thanatos could be the overwhelming force Thus, today, the world may be seen as divided into two groups. On the one hand, we have the peoples whose only law is enjoyment, and for the sake of enjoyment, they are ready to sacrifice their own lives. And on the other hand, we have the peoples whose only consideration is an exalted form of religion, and for the sake of that religion, they too are ready to sacrifice their own life. The only thing that the two groups seem to have in common, in common is an addictive behavior pattern. No, addiction, unfortunately, is not something that can be subject to dialectics, which means that it is out of the reach of reason. We wish to have the works of Freud 
listed among the World Heritage Sites referenced by UNESCO. You are well aware that such a step will not change the course of a story. However, it will be a small stone paving the way for the possibility of a different future. Thank you. Uh, the first round table is on education, and the uh, participants are uh, Marilia Eisenstein, Victor Azoulay, Paul Fry, Gerard Pommier, and uh, Jean-Jacques Moscovitz. D'habitude, ici à Helix, on a des discussions qui sont où on a demandé aux participants de ne pas préparer du tout, ce qui n'était pas possible dans ce cas. Donc, ils ont tous préparé un peu, vous avez leur rapport devant vous, mais euh, on va faire ce que Marilia décide. Thank you, Ed. So, I have the great pleasure and honor to chair this first panel on education and it's, it will be an open discussion if someone to read a paper or a short paper or part of the paper and then discuss I think the, the, the best is to feel free but I will probably give to Professor Fry will start well, thank you and, and welcome all. Uh, my uh, French is equal to reading and comprehension, but unfortunately very little to speaking. So you will have to endure my English, which I will uh, at least attempt to enunciate slowly. Uh, I chose this panel uh, because, of course, while I have opinions about civilization and about discontent, uh, I feel a little more qualified to speak about education. Uh, in recent years, in addition to the various duties you can imagine as an English professor, uh, I've become the executive co-director of the Yale New Haven Teachers Institute and uh, its national uh, um, emanation uh, which is called the National Initiative. And what we do is sponsor collegial uh, content-driven seminars for teachers preschool through high school. Uh, I've taught a great many of these in the summertime, and during the course of teaching them, I've heard, uh, perhaps to invoke the word more meaningfully for the first time, the discontent of teachers. Uh, and I am very much concerned that, I, and by this I mean primarily what we call public school teachers, uh, that is to say uh, state and locally sponsored education as opposed to privately sponsored education. 
Uh, I'm very much concerned about this, and the paper that I've distributed um, takes up what I take to be the two dominant modern philosophies of education, uh, neither of which I think are in any way adequate to the needs of the student population in general, uh, and neither of which I think sufficient even for the students whom it's best calculated to serve. Uh, the first of these philosophies of education, in a certain sense, however consciously, of course, is unclear, <laughs> descends from Plato. Uh, and the idea behind it is that you educe or draw out knowledge in students through a process of warmth in atmosphere, participation, and encouragement of creativity. This philosophy of education dominated educational thought in the 60s and the 70s, what you might call the Aquarian age of education. Uh, another philosophy of education has largely supplanted it um, owing to the inadequacies of the previous one. And that's a philosophy that it seems to me derives, most respectively speaking, from Locke. Uh, because it seems to suppose that the mind is a blank wax tablet on which information needs to be imprinted. And it's an obviously a very different attitude toward the mind. Uh, and it puts teachers in the same subject position exactly as students, because teachers too are supposed to be blank wax tablets on which both pedagogical skill and the content they teach need to be imprinted. And in this atmosphere, we have what in English we call teaching to the test, uh, an emphasis on core knowledge to be imparted uh, largely by rote in classroom situations, um, and, the, and in, in the teacher's own behavior, uh, the supposition that everything they do needs to be scripted. Uh, uh, in, the in the French translation, it says script, uh, and I'm afraid, I, I think it should be scripté, but maybe écrivé would be uh, a clearer term. I don't think the correct term is script. Uh, in any case, that's, wh that's what we call what teachers are obliged to do both in preparing their daily lesson plans and also in meeting the class. You begin by saying, good morning, class, uh, as you're told to do, uh, and then your uh, uh, teaching uh, duties proceed from there, all of them scripted. Well, it seems to me that one uh, a great advantage of invoking Freud on an occasion like this is that if we understand these two traditions differently, he can be seen to reconcile them. On the one hand, while he's no more interested in innate ideas than most people are since, since Kant, uh, he nevertheless does uh, strongly uh, inculcate us to recognize the, uh, as, as one of the preliminary speakers said, desire to learn, uh, the innate disposition to know or to learn, which is in part driven by infantile sexual researches. Yes. Uh, the infant is as desperate to know the truth about the things that matter to him or her as a philosopher is uh, to know about the things that matter to him or her. Uh, during the course of, uh, of, of growing up, latency, adolescence, there's the great danger, of course, that this desire to learn 
will be suppressed altogether. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we can make something of the Lockean tradition if instead of the idea of the blank wax tablet, um, we keep in mind the notion, Freud's notion of the mystic writing pad. In other words, the palimpsest of imprinting that acknowledges the dynamic relationship between unconscious drives and the effort all of us make to form something like a coherent consciousness. And it seems to me that the basis for pedagogy and for, the no for, for, for mediating the issues of transference that, that, that have to be involved in education, but that surround these two philosophies of education, crudely the Platonic and the Lockean, um, it seems to me that the, that, that the issue for education is understanding that the vagaries of human love, which so much drive the wish to know, uh, need to be through the transference, uh, uh, transformed, uh, stabilized as a kind of object love that we can call the love of understood ideas. And by this means, uh, we need to recognize that both the uh, Oedipal resistance to the mentor or teacher and the abject identification with the mentor or teacher need to be curbed, mediated, and a common ground between these radical extremes, both of which, it seems to me, can be recognized in the structure of discontent that concerns us so much. Uh, abject identification with the mentor, of course, has a great deal to do with the formation of fundamentalist solidarity and Oedipal resistance to the teacher, sometimes in the same personality, has a great deal to do with the generation of hatred. Uh, so uh, it, it's, it's commonplace enough to say so, but it seems to me that our task is the finding, through our understanding of the dynamics of the transference, a common ground between these undesirable extremes. Thank you. I'm sorry if I went on too long. No. <laughs> No, you were not long at all, and it was, I'm personally, I was very moved because you, you really have a very psychoanalytical understanding of what teaching is. I mean, the part of the cassexis, you have to cassex a person, you have to have a strong cassexis on the teacher, and then, if things go well, this cassexis can go from the person of the teacher to what he teaches. And that seems very important. And I was also very interested in your paper uh, to the place you give to philosophy, saying that finally a child is in love with philosophy because he wants to understand how mind, the mind works. Yes, thank you. Who wants to react? I can. Yes, I can Gérard Pommier, please. I try, I try uh, in, my, uh, in my English and without papers and uh, 
so you forgive me if I have some difficulties to find the good translation. But uh, listening uh, to the precedent uh, speaker, uh, first uh, I am speaking that uh, there is no relationship evident between uh, education and uh, teaching, <coughs> because on the method at least, <coughs> because in the method teaching uh, uh, does not let speak of anything, and especially not speak of uh, about uh, sexuality, uh, about the drives, about uh, what uh, uh, any kind of, of, of uh, obscenity that is uh, repressed by the common education. And it's on the contrary of uh, psychoanalysis, whose uh, first, uh, uh, I don't know how to say it, uh, rule, rule is to let speak, to let speak the free uh, association, uh, which are not free, which are all going, going back uh, to the uh, drives, to the obscenity of drives, which is not permitted by, uh, by uh, good education. In principle, there is no way to join education and uh, psychoanalysis on the method. But in fact, anybody can see that there is, uh, in, the, in the life, there is a strong relationship. Uh, I mean that education, uh, as well as uh, psychoanalysis, have the same uh, boundary with uh, the prohibition of uh, incest. And this prohibition is, uh, uh, is, uh, is, uh, uh, commandé, is, uh, is, what? Commandé, commandé, commandé. Huh? Insisted on, demanded. De no, it demanded, yes. Yes. Demanding, uh, demanding the, uh, the repression. There is a strong uh, relationship uh, between uh, what is uh, so necessary uh, in the in the in the uh, in what what is uh, the the way psychoanalysis is uh, is leading to that means to two main things uh, who, uh, that that has uh, something to do with uh, discontents that is resolution of the symptoms by speaking, because only speaking as a subject and the symptom as no subject, and speaking is making some, uh, uh, some uh, uh, help. First, first uh, thing uh, against the discontent, and second thing is uh, uh, dissolution of the Oedipus complex as the, the end of analysis on the Freudian way to, to understand it. And so on this way it's very clear that analysis has something very strong to, to see with education, but the methods are not the same. So we are, I mean, we have a good uh, uh, good uh, orientation by uh, speaking first 
of the question of, uh, of uh, education. Well, a way to educate that has nothing to see with science. Science has not been able to civilize the mind of the people. Always this discontent is going on on his basis of sexual discontent and uh, uh, science itself is uh, uh, changing and uh, is now like a new religion uh, trying to, to, to give explanation uh, of what, is, uh, what, what are the sources of uh, discontents but outside of the sexual reasons and outside of the prohibition of incest, which is the law on which uh, the Oedipus complex takes his uh, universality and which are the, 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 the way uh, in which we are trying to, <coughs> to civilize, civilize a desire uh, always savage because taking with him this uh, discontent. But maybe I will not say no more for now and after in the discussion to say more. If I understood well, Gérard Pommier, you are saying that psychoanalysis and education have the same aim, but a totally, uh, totally controversial or different method. Yes. One is constructing and the other is deconstructing. Yes, that's, okay. that's it. That's it. Uh, there's a wonderful paradox in your paper that I admired very much. The, uh, the, and the idea is that education or pedagogy advocates free speech, yet speaks under inhibition. And psychoanalysis fully acknowledges that language is a prison house within which we struggle uh, and is much more skeptical about free speech while at the same time articulating uh, issues that pedagogy tends to wince away from. It's a wonderful paradox. Uh, I wonder how it's affected by the uh, loss of verbal inhibition, uh, let's say, in post-war times. It's true that the schools, and here again I speak only from American experience, um, are remarkably alert censors very frequently on the subject of sexuality. Uh, but at the same time, there is among students, and of course among teachers too, um, the common currency of freedom to speak about these things in less formal situations. So I would think that there would be a slight erosion of this paradox, perhaps not for the good or for any productive end, um, owing to the collapse of verbal inhibitions in the last few generations. I don't know what you would think about that. Uh, the, the sexual, the sexual uh, education I am speaking of is not the sexual education of free speech or on uh, how to make love or things like that. Uh, it's something like uh, more profound that includes uh, the discontent of what is coming from the Oedipus complex. And of that, 
there is no speech nowhere possible because it's a very personal thing. I mean, the men, like the women, are afraid of their own desire, which is coming from the discontent itself, and it's only analysis who can do, uh, we can make that um, uh, uh, more civilized, I mean. We can come to terms with it rationally, perhaps, but not emotionally. Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. yes. Uh, uh, it, it, it makes sense because, you know, you have discourses which are very, very well-constructed and very uh, intelligent and full of culture, but what André Green would call dead, dis dead discourses. Because when the discourse is no more rooted in the drives, it becomes totally different, mm -hmm. concrete. Yes. For, for example, uh, what, what is coming from, the, uh, from, from our basis culture is some kind of hate of the feminine. Of the feminine, I say. I mean, of the castration. And this can be educated by rational ways but only with personal ways like analysis. That's why we have, uh, I mean, uh, something very unique to, to, to give to civilization and its uh, discontents. Yes? Yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, I speak in France. Excuse me. Je trouve la méthode proposée de parler sans notes, spontanément, euh, excellente. Il est évident que dans ces, ces circonstances, je vais le faire. J'ai un texte qui et des travaux qui me permettent quand même de le dire sans, sans difficulté. Mais je suis très ému quand même de venir à New York parler un petit peu quand même du malaise dans la civilisation, du malaise actuel, dans le contemporain, après ce qui s'est produit à Paris il y a trois semaines. Il s'est produit quand même quelque chose que moi je nomme, je me suis mis à écrire très vite le lendemain, euh, la détestation de la parole humanisante, qui s'était produite dans ces actes de meurtre, comme vous avez pu le savoir. Mais ce dont je veux parler, c'est donc du malaise actuel, c'est-à-dire euh, du pouvoir de destruction, je ne sais pas si mon micro est bien mis, le pouvoir de destruction humaine. Les pouvoirs humains de destruction qui sont euh, illimités, sans fin, disait Freud. Il a employé un terme tout à fait intéressant qui est euh, euh, l'individu-peuple. C'est dans la conclusion de considérations actuelles sur la guerre et sur la mort de 1916. Je trouve ce terme intéressant parce que ça permet une lecture en 1929, du texte de 1929, Malaise dans la civilisation, où il s'agit de l'individu et de la masse également. Et c'est là où moi je trouve intéressant d'essayer de vous parler de ce que j'essaye de dire aussi depuis un moment. Mais auparavant, je voudrais souligner combien ce mot de malaise est très faible. Euh, 
il est très faible. Freud le, le, le tire de sa clinique de l'obsessionnel, où dit-il, pour l'obsessionnel, effleure à sa, à sa conscience très facilement euh, les désirs indestructibles de meurtre du père et d'inceste euh, vers la mère. Mais que si ces désirs indestructibles... Ça va Yes. Il a cassé le micro. Tu me passes le tien Non, Jacques. Tu me passes le... Non, il n'est pas cassé. Ça va, je peux continuer Thank you. Thank you. Je disais donc que ce mot est un peu faible aujourd'hui, mais Freud le tire de la clinique de l'obsessionnel, chez qui effleure à sa conscience les désirs indestructibles de meurtre et d'inceste. Et si ces désirs venaient à, à la conscience de beaucoup de monde, ce qui n'est pas impossible aujourd'hui vu ce qui se passe, on, pourrait, on devrait appeler malaise plutôt détresse, désarroi, néantisation. Et ça me semble important de le dire là. Parce que, effectivement, le, les, les choses ont tourné avec ce qui s'est passé dans, dans le siècle, avec les génocides arméniens, la Shoah, le Rwanda et autres, euh, la Yougoslavie. Les choses ont changé beaucoup. Freud ne pouvait pas le savoir, évidemment. Peut-être pour le, le génocide arménien, je suis étonné d'ailleurs qu'il n'en ait pas parlé, d'après ce que j'ai pu lire. Mais en même temps, il fait surgir au début du XXe siècle, je dis ça pour en venir à aujourd'hui, une nouvelle façon de concevoir la sexualité, notamment infantile, pour la mettre à jour dans les notions qu'il va élaborer plus tard, notamment dans les trois essais sur les théories des sexualités infantiles. Et où, où cette sexualité, effectivement, va être l'objet d'un refoulement. En même temps, dans le texte sur le malaise, alors, qui termine par le, le fameux terme, la fameuse ligne, la dernière, que les hommes peuvent s'exterminer jusqu'au dernier, entre Eros et Thanatos, euh, il y a aussi le fait qu'il nous dit combien le bonheur par la sexualité ne peut pas être atteint, que la sexualité est limitée, bien qu'il ait avancé ces termes. En même temps, il donne euh, le fait, il donne, avec l'avenir d'une illusion et d'autres textes, l'idée absolument désormais acquise que la religion ne peut plus être le garant de la morale et qu'il faut qu'on trouve autre chose que nous sommes seuls avec ces choses là et je vais citer Malraux parce que ça m'importe beaucoup de le citer j'ai déjà cité ailleurs Malraux en 53 André Malraux nous dit combien il y a un triomphe de la psychanalyse c'est le mérite de la psychanalyse d'avoir proposé 50 ans avant donc avec l'interprétation des rêves de Freud que les démons en l'homme réintègrent l'intériorité psychique et ne soient pas placés dans le religieux et qu'il nous faut donc nous en débrouiller et qu'en même temps il nous dit combien la poussée islamique c'est en 53 doit être prise en considération parce qu'il n'y aura ni le communisme ni le marxisme-léninisme ni le capitalisme ne pourront résoudre ces questions et qu'il faudra tenir compte de cette poussée islamique et on arrive pour résumer ce que je veux dire sur Malraux, à cette fameuse prophétie qui n'est pas de lui, qui est du média qui l'a interrogé, combien euh, le 21e siècle, le nôtre, sera religieux ou spirituel ou ne sera pas 
où ce sera la bombe atomique. Donc on est quand même là au rendez-vous de quelque chose qui est en train de se montrer tous les jours, dans le monde, en France notamment, bien sûr. Et ça, je tenais à le dire, et que, en fin de compte, et je vais être assez bref quand même dans tout ça, parce que j'aurais beaucoup à dire, que ce 21e siècle, avec ce qui est proposé avec le comité Freud et ici à New York, comment faire que, le, que Freud et la psychanalyse puissent aider les politiques, puissent aider les, les, ceux qui s'occupent des gens en difficulté du côté social, comment on, puis, on peut donner une, un certain terme, disons, de l'ordre de l'éducation, et du pédagogique, ou du sociopolitique, ou de la géopolitique, ou même de la géostratégie. Et là, je me cite encore Freud, parce que je trouve ce texte que je vais citer tout à fait formidable, de 1933, « Angoisse et vie pulsionnelle », où il reprend « Malaise dans la civilisation », quatre ans après, où il nous dit combien il faut prendre garde à ne pas trop laisser aller à la, la, il dit ça à ses élèves Rank, Reich et d'autres et, et Reich, ne pas aller trop vite dans la pédagogie dans le culturel dans l'éducatif parce que la psychanalyse à ce moment là court le risque de tomber dans un marché public, il fait allusion au succès que Reich rencontre dans ces années 30, il y avait des milliers de gens qui assistaient à ces conférences parce que justement, il ne parlait peut-être pas trop de psychanalyse. Mais, mais du coup, il dit, le marché public où la psychanalyse pourrait tomber, ça serait la négation même du psychique qu'il essaye d'élaborer et de l'inconscient qu'il essaye d'élaborer. Ça, nous devons en tenir compte pour aujourd'hui euh, commencer à travailler, se confronter à notre monde difficile où il se produit ce que vous savez et combien c'est effectivement difficile. Et il dit surtout dans ce texte, combien, reprenant déjà sa thèse sur le trauma, combien... Il faut élaborer qu'il y a le fantasme qui permet, en quelque sorte, d'autoriser le moi à penser que son trauma, non pas vient de lui, mais qu'il a à s'en occuper lui-même. Ce n'est pas uniquement extérieur. Et que le fantasme, dit-il, doit être protégé tout le temps. Le fantasme psychique, le fantasme dans la, au sens de la psychanalyse. Et ça, je trouve ça assez important de pouvoir le, le citer comme ça. Et que, là, et que ce fantasme, aujourd'hui, dans son annulation permanente, souvent fréquente, va tourner à quoi Au fanatisme. Et que nous avons affaire au fanatisme de jeunes en France. Et comment faire pour que ce fanatisme ne puisse pas prendre un essor encore inquiétant qu'il a pu prendre ces, ces, ces semaines et ces années, n'est-ce pas Et c'est là, là où je, je pense qu'il faut qu'on se prenne au sérieux sur cette problématique. Combien euh, de prendre en compte le pédagogique Oui. L'éducatif Oui. Mais pas trop le sociopolitique, oui, mais pas trop. Ce n'est pas vrai que les jeunes ne, sont, ne font leurs actes de meurtre uniquement parce qu'ils sortent de familles, disons, en, en, en déficit social ou en déficit financier ou en déficit de toutes sortes, culturelles notamment, ou venus d'une autre culture. Ce n'est pas suffisant pour donner une explication. Donc là, il y a un enjeu politique où la psychanalyse doit se situer. n'est-ce pas Et je, Il me semble que là, il y a quelque chose de tout à fait important parce qu'on est face à quoi avec ce fanatisme mondial, on est face à une scène planétaire, une scène originaire, on dirait, on pourrait dire, planétaire, qui nous meut, qui nous, qui nous, qui nous, qui nous tient, qui nous capte, qui est la suivante, c'est qu'il y a un couplage extrêmement nocif entre victime et bourreau, où la mort est devenue un peu l'objet d'échange entre victime et bourreau. Et il y a une idéologie victimaire qui en ressort, et une idéologie identitaire qui en ressort, où ce n'est pas de ma faute, c'est de la faute de l'extérieur du monde où je vis, qui provoque chez moi des désirs de meurtre, des désirs d'inceste, tels que, tels que Freud les a décrits, tels qu'on les connaît par la psychanalyse. 
Et il me semble que là, j'ai dit à peu près l'essentiel, combien euh, il faudrait aussi, pour conclure, je dirais, combien chacun d'entre nous, psychanalystes, psychanalysés, psychanalysants, doit se questionner sur l'attrait vers cette paranoïa planétaire où il y trouverait une certaine jouissance et qu'il faut s'en défaire, savoir s'en défaire, savoir se défaire de l'attrait que provoque euh, cette scène de séduction, de violence, qu'il ne faut pas simplement rejeter, mais en même temps étudier en soi, dans la mesure où on a tous en soi un désir de meurtre de l'autre et un désir d'autodestruction de soi-même. Voilà, c'est ce que je voulais dire. Thank you. Je maintenant ou après Une question. Did everybody understood French and shall I make a, a very brief summary? I, I'll try to. It's not so easy. Uh, but Jean-Jacques Moscovitch started seeing how moved he was to speak in New York in this symposium, especially uh, after the tragic Paris events and what happened uh, yesterday in San Bernardino. Uh, he uh, evoked he, he evoked the hate of human of humanity. Uh, and the, the and went back to Freud's papers on human destructivity. Uh, he picked up one expression, which is uh, uh, an expression that you, one can find in Freud's uh, 1916 uh, Why War? No, uh, uh, the considerations on on, uh, on war, uh, where he speaks of the individual people, the individual mass. Uh, and then he said that he thinks that the word discontents is a very feeble word, that one should say more something like um, destructivity, um, um, something more... Uh, than discontents. Uh, then he, he went to, to the relation between infantile sexuality and uh, saying that now, nowadays religion and moral is no more able to, to, to contain the violence which starts with an infantile Uh, sexuality. Uh, he quoted Malraux, uh, André Malraux, who in 1953 already said uh, about he, he had a pre premonition saying that if the 21st century is not a religious century, it will be Uh, uh, it, it won't exist. So, so he had the idea of the danger of the religion now. Now, uh, he, uh, Jean-Pierre Moscovitch, uh, I, if I understood well, uh, closed his uh, remarks by seeing how much education uh, Social, social education, education teaching uh, 
is important, of course, as we already said in the round table, but how much it can also be something which is totally insufficient because it can totally uh, erase the unconscious fantasy. And he said something which for me is very important. He, uh, he said we should be very much aware of the seduction of the terrorist attacks, the seduction of violence, of destructivity, because of course we can all, we are all, we have a fundamental violence in all of us. Yes, yes, of course. Bon, euh, Jean-Jacques, je, en français, hein, hein, euh, je trouve que ton, ce que tu, as, ce que tu nous as apporté est tout à fait fondé et basé sur le pessimisme de Freud que tu pointes que tu pointes le pessimisme de Freud avant celui de Moscou. Et je pense que ton côté alarmiste m'amène à te poser deux questions. Tu signales, à un moment donné, tu nous dis, j'avance que le malaise actuellement a désormais sa place comme concept fondamental de la pratique de la psychanalyse à côté de ceux avancés par Lacan. En quoi le fait de, de, de dire que le malaise dans la civilisation doit être un concept fondamental peut aider à répondre à ta question insistante de la fin de ton texte en disant euh, à propos du schéma imaginaire que tu couples entre la victime et le bourreau que je trouve absolument exact mais insuffisant quant à la, à la potentialité d'une éducation ou d'une déradicalisation euh, tu ne mets pas assez l'accent sur la fragilité identitaire des, euh, des, des, des enfants qui, qui pourraient être euh, quand même euh, une, une cause de, de l'entretien de, de, de ce que les bourreaux euh, pensent euh, faire avec les enfants dont la fragilité identitaire peuvent faire de, de ces enfants des futurs meurtriers. Donc, euh, quand tu dis euh, euh, c'est cela qui nous fait rester à notre place de psychanalyste, de journaliste, d'artiste, de citoyen, pour se donner quelques chances d'interprétation de l'actuel et de le changer en faveur de la vie contre la mort, et vite, alors tu dis « et vite », alors, qu'est-ce que, entre la, la, le malaise en tant que concept et le côté alarmiste, vite, 
y a un maillon qui manque. Et je pense qu'il est dans l'éducation qu'il faut interroger à partir de l'intranquillité identitaire qui est le problème identitaire aujourd'hui. C'est le problème de l'identité et de sa formation qui, est, qui peut nous aider à essayer d'imaginer une, une, un arrêt de cette invasion de Daesh et, de la, et des, des bourreaux qui est un cycle infernal. L'éducation a son rôle à jouer et pas seulement... Ça a déjà été fait par Anna Freud. Il y a une école de Isling, il y a Ekorn qui a essayé aussi à l'époque. N'oublions pas qu'à l'époque de Anna Freud, il y avait une, une analyste, euh, Elmine von Helmut, dont le neveu, à 13 ans, a assassiné son, son, son analyste et sa tante. Donc il y a le côté meurtrier qui peut, effectivement, tu l'as dit, qui peut venir surgir et, et, et dépasser. Les... Donc il y a, il y a euh, le fait que euh, les... La décapitation euh, rejette complètement la problématique de l'inconscient. Je pense que euh, mettre l'accent sur la, la, les, la, les difficultés de la formation de l'identité et tous ces, ces avatars, avec le carrefour des identités euh, internes et, et, les, et les facteurs extérieurs, je crois que euh, la voie est tracée pour ne être à la fois vigilant, mais pas alarmiste, au sens où il n'y a rien à faire. Il y a une possibilité, et nous sommes là pour en parler. Voilà, je te remercie. Vous pouvez vous traduire vous-même <rire> Moi, je ne pourrais pas le traduire en anglais. Je n'ai pas suffisamment de la pratique. quelqu'un d'autre qui peut traduire qui peut le faire. Vous pouvez traduire, Mania Un micro. Oui, il, a, il a tout mélangé. Okay. OK, I'll try very, very briefly. Um, Victor Adoulet was saying that... Um, uh, the previous speaker was as pessimist as Freud was. We all know Freud's pessimism. And he rose then two questions, saying that, uh, first of all, reading the paper and listening to Moscovich was, uh, brought to his mind that the word discontent is becoming a crucial psychoanalytical concept, which is at the core of our daily work. And then that uh, he heard in the speech of Moscovich something which was uh, of an urgency, urgency to find answers, urgency to react, urgency to understand. And he says, Victor Azoulay said, that between the discontent and the urgency, there was something which was lacking, 
which is uh, the work of education and the, that education is what is constituting finally the identity and I think that you were finally making a link to the next round table between education and identity, of course, because to be educated, one, sh one must have, must, one must be constructing his own identity with education. Oui, oui. Euh, pour répondre à Victor, donc en français, euh, il me semble que d'aborder les choses comme je le fais sur le, par le biais du fantasme, euh, c'est aller du côté de l'identitaire. Ce, ce contre quoi je m'oppose, c'est à l'idéologie identitaire mmh. qui, aboutit, qui aboutit forcément à quelque chose de la violence et du, du, quelque chose qui, qui dit à l'autre « Tu n'es pas comme moi, donc je peux, je peux faire ce que je veux de toi. Et si j'ai les moyens, je vais te tuer. » C'est ça la question que je pose. Alors, alarmiste, je veux bien recevoir la critique, mais je suis alarmiste, c'est-à-dire depuis toujours. Il s'agit de penser le réel de notre temps. Et il se trouve qu'aujourd'hui, de plus en plus, et depuis Malraux, c'est très impressionnant qu'il ait eu cette vision comme ça, euh, en perspective euh, du siècle du XXIe, mais il est arrivé à penser, je pense que Mme Eisenstein le fait, euh, dans ce qu'elle a dit, c'est-à-dire à penser notre façon de, de voir les choses en restant analyste, tout en étant quand même adapté à ce qui se passe. Ce que dit d'ailleurs Gérard Pommier, à mon sens, c'est ce que j'en ai entendu. Hein. Bon, pour, pour, ma, pour, pour Malraux, juste un mot, parce que c'est magnifique, il dit, en, juste, en, je termine, il dit à la fin de sa vie, mes livres, le monde commence à ressembler à mes livres. C'est une très belle phrase, c'est un littéraire, il ne faut pas oublier. Mm -hmm. hein? Mes livres, le monde commence à ressembler à mes livres. Oui, mais peut-être peut qu'il faudra un peu traduire. Moi, je, je pense, Jean-Jacques, que, je que, que ce que tu soutiens est tout à fait valable. Mais nous sommes là pour aborder le problème de l'éducation. D'accord. Bon, et ce problème de l'éducation, comme le dit Émile Mallet, est important parce que euh, je veux simplement rappeler une, un, un passage de l'avenir d'une illusion où Freud dit nous appelons une croyance illusion lorsque dans sa motivation l'accomplissement de souhait vient au premier plan et nous faisons là abstraction de son rapport à la réalité effective tout comme l'illusion elle-même renonce à être écréditée. Je pense que la réalité extérieure tout le monde le sait c'est le côté alarmiste on est tous terrorisés par ce qui arrive mais que faire Que faire, c'est interroger les, les aléas ou les insuffisances de l'éducation en tenant compte de la fragilité de la formation identitaire de tout enfant. Parce que c'est par là que ça commence. Si l'enfant le, si a une identité stable et un sentiment du moi, 
il peut résister à, 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 au surgissement de l'instinct meurtrier en lui. OK. Please. I uh, feel that probably one duty we have before us is to discuss croyance. Mm -hmm. uh, Monsieur Pommier makes a very interesting distinction in his paper between uh, to believe that mm -hmm. and to believe in, croire que, croire en, uh, which I think it bears careful examination because there's certainly a difference. We have, the feet, we have a kind of a philosophical feeling about believing that. I believe that such and such is the case, for example. Uh, whereas we have a religious, perhaps a squeamish religious feeling about believing in. And yet the whole concept of belief it seems to me still has very much to do with identity formation. Perhaps we all of necessity and spontaneously believe something. Um, uh, I feel very much as though I were on the couch and so I will confess that I believe painfully little myself, uh, which in a certain sense perhaps exempts me I don't think you need to worry too much about my turning violent tomorrow as a result. But on the other hand, uh, I'm often the sort, of, I'm the sort of person who's often accused of creating an intellectual void into which fanaticism can rush. Uh, I resist the charge, but at the same time, it's this question whether or not there is a structure of belief that actually resists fanaticism, for example, perhaps somehow or another based on coming to terms with the understanding of the violence within, or whether, on the other hand, the resistance to fanaticism is, in a certain sense, necessarily a resistance to belief as such. I would like... I, I would be very interested in hearing that question pursued. Hmm? Uh, you know, you reminded me, um, Ron Britton, British psychoanalyst, mm -hmm. uh, wrote a lot about uh, belief uh, in relation to what we call internal reality. Yes. 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 And I think it's very important what you said. Uh, and belief can, of course, be part of internal reality and then be worked through. Or if it's not worked through, it can exactly go to fanaticism or delusion. Je peux, en anglais, I should... I I want to tell you something about education. Freud, in 1916, wrote, we believe that civilization has been created under the pressure of the large extent being constantly created anew 
since each individual who makes a fresh entry into human society repeats this sacrifice of instinctual satisfaction for the benefit of the whole community. By refusing of this sacrifice, the new individual necessarily comes up against the discontent present in civilization, and today is the same problem. Any comment? Yes, maybe uh, the comment that, uh, as uh, Mr. Mark uh, Smaller said, we have to learn. We have to learn uh, not only not only thinking that uh, uh, violence is uh, 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 founding itself on uh, some uh, uh, personal problems of people who uh, has a problem to, to, to finish with, with their parents and so on. But there is something specifically cultural. Cultural, and this, what, what is specifically cultural is not only the fault of the other. There is not, in one way, the religious people, we are fighting against religion for atheism, uh, which permit uh, uh, to, to uh, finish with uh, this kind of violence uh, on one side, and ourselves, our societies who are atheists and who have finished to, with this violence. This is not true. We have our own violence, and we have to confess it as well. We, I mean, uh, 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 it's not only the other culture which is in uh, uh, a theological, uh, political violence. Ourselves as well are in this violence. I mean, uh, uh, capitalism uh, is not something uh, on the side of atheism in a very evident way. It is as well a theological, political commandment, Lutheran one, to be uh, on the wealthy side, to be the, the strongest. There is competition violence inscripted uh, with our belief and our belief in God as well. It's written on each dollar in God we trust. So I'm, I think we have to learn too and to think about that as well. Uh, perhaps I can open the discussion to the audience if someone wants to. Yes, please. Uh, yes, I'd like to try. You don't have to come and stand here because otherwise it won't be. I'm very What? I have a very loud voice. doesn't matter. It has to be recorded. <laughs> uh, I would like to try and connect the uh, Paul's original uh, presentation and the comments he just made uh, and bring them together in order to also make a connection between the question of education and the larger uh, social, cultural, and political questions we're considering. Uh, 
you know, uh, Adorno, in his famous article on uh, after Auschwitz, uh, said the role of education uh, should be to create uh, autonomous citizens uh, who can critically enter into the public sphere and challenge, question, evaluate the ideology, beliefs, illusions, whatever you want to call them, of the group. And uh, I appreciate your stress on the role of transference in the education and uh, character formation, paideia in the classroom, as you might call it. I mean, as someone who has both taught in the university and been an analyst, I've had occasion to observe that there's as much transference in a seminar room as there is in the consulting room. Uh, so the point I want to make, uh, the point I want to make uh, is that if we think of education in terms of paideia, uh, which uh, utilizes the transference to the teacher, uh, I think the goal should be, as you suggested, is to take the transference, uh, take the identifications, and uh, uh, transform them uh, into a situation where the student identifies with the teacher in terms of his or her critical capacities, dedication to truth, willingness to call things into question. And he or herself becomes an autonomous critical thinker. Uh, and to connect that to your last remark about the distinction between believing in and believing that, uh, you might say a secular identity uh, is one that is committed only to believing in when believing in is justified. Uh, what the uh, analytic philosophers used to call a justified assertion or a justified belief. So that if one is cathected that stance, that identity, uh, then all believing ends should be subject to inquiry criticism and to see if they can be translated into a justified believing that. Thank you. Thanks, Joel. Thank you. Emile Mallet. Good morning, friends. As co-founder with Charles Melman of Comité Freud, I want to say something about what I heard this morning. The Freud Committee was founded to explain why today Freud could be not an explication, but could be very actual to understand what is coming in extremism, in nationalism, in uh, dead drive. And I think it's very important not to take Freud as a commentator, as a journalist like I am of the actuality, but to understand what is happening today. And uh, I try to speak in French, and Madia will translate. Je pense Freud, comme vous le savez, avait des réserves sur l'Amérique. Il avait deux types de réserves. Il considérait qu'il y avait une superficialité en général dans les milieux euh, académiques et aussi il considérait que les médecins ne laissaient pas une place à la psychanalyse. Oui. 
we'd had two reservations about uh, psychoanalysis in America. Thank you. Uh, one was that, uh, that Americans were superficial. <laughs> and the other was that uh, uh, the, the medicalization of psychoanalysis. Mais en vérité, le vrai reproche que les Américains faisaient à Freud, c'était de considérer que la pulsion de mort était comme la pulsion de vie constitutive de l'identité. Je pense qu'aujourd'hui, puisque ça a été évoqué par tous les intervenants, les événements qu'il y a eu à Paris, comme en Californie, comme partout en Europe et également dans le monde arabe, peuvent montrer que Freud avait raison avant nous. Voilà. So, the, the, these, these events in Paris, in San Bernardino and in, uh, in Arabia show that Freud was right uh, first. L'extrémisme religieux au nom de l'amour de Dieu, c'est-à-dire que ceux qui commettent leur propre sacrifice, le sacrifice des autres, le font au, au, à partir d'un idéal du moi, mais en même temps en se réclamant des craignants Dieu. En se réclamant de l'amour de Dieu. In reclaiming the, the, the love of God. Et alors, je pense que les Américains aujourd'hui peuvent nous rejoindre. L'Europe rejoint l'Amérique, l'Amérique rejoint l'Europe et le monde arabe est en train de nous rejoindre sur cette question précise. À savoir que si nous voulons combattre la barbarie et la comprendre, il faut accepter que la pulsion de mort et la pulsion de vie se retrouvent côte à côte dans la société comme dans la constitution de l'identité de ceux qui commettent des crimes en général. So if now Europe, the United States, Arabia, we all have a chance to get together to realize this point that in fact the death drive uh, and the life drive, uh, Eros and Thanatos, um, can be il y a un point commun entre les Américains et Freud, c'est que tous les deux sont des lecteurs de la Bible. Et que dit la Bible sur la question de la pulsion de mort la Bible, What does the Bible say about the, 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 the drive? la Bible dit la pulsion de mort et la pulsion de vie chemine côte à côte chez l'individu. Mais l'individu doit choisir la pulsion de vie. The Bible says that the death drive and the life drive go uh, side by side, hand in hand, but we have to choose the uh, life drive. Je pense que Freud a montré par sa vie et son œuvre son courage extraordinaire et comment il a privilégié la pulsion de vie par rapport à la barbarie qui était autour de lui. And we can see from Freud's work and his life how he put uh, the eros before Thanatos. Et comme nous sommes ici dans le temple du capitalisme, je crois que le plus bel éloge qui a été fait à Freud, c'était il y a deux ans, 
par Edmund Fels, qui est prix Nobel d'économie, et qui, dit, qui a dit cette chose extraordinaire. Il dit qu'en matière de compréhension de la vie, en matière de risque à prendre pour la vie et le progrès, Freud nous en apprend beaucoup plus que le pessimisme des économistes. So I, I end by saying that the, the economist who won the Nobel Prize, uh, well, Edmund Fels, Edmund Fels said that, uh, that in taking a risk, uh, an economic risk, uh, uh, pour le progrès, pour for, for progress and for life, Freud, nous Freud, Freud, Freud taught us more than an economist. Thank you. Merci. Yes, please. I, I'm not uh, current with Freud. I haven't read Freud probably in 30 or 40 years. Um, and I don't condone violence. Schopenhauer described a concept of resentment, uh, a deep abiding resentment, anger. I understand what motivated those people in California and those people in Paris. We are told that, anti, that any criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic, that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitic, and we're not allowed to discuss these issues at all, and it has led to our committing unbelievable atrocities in the Middle East. I understand the rage that people can feel when they feel that their own people are being assaulted and they have no way to even cry about that. I don't condone violence. I don't condone the slaughter of innocent people. But I do not feel that I am innocent. I don't think anybody sitting in this room is innocent. French foreign policy is as much an atrocity as American foreign policy. French history with colonialism is as much an atrocity as what the United States has done over the, my entire lifetime. And, and I think that more than Thanos and, and Eros um, being part of the human personality, I think we have to speak about our own personal responsibility for where we have led this world. And, you know, I think you're, you're being far too gentle on ourselves here. We bear responsibility for what we're facing today, every one of us. Thank you. Well, first, I think you can hear in the responses both of Monsieur Moskowitz and Monsieur Pommier the acknowledgement of, of a violence within and especially of a uh, violence from the standpoint of superiority, which is, uh, let's say, the structure of a self-condemnation, although it doesn't emphasize it, our task today to being to think about Freud in relation to these matters. Um, and in that regard, I'd like to go back to um, the death drive. Uh, in Beyond the Pleasure Principle, uh, Freud toys controversially with biological metaphors, as we know, uh, and speculates that the death drive is the wish of the organism to return to a simpler state. Uh, in other words, in a certain sense, to 
uncomplicate itself uh, to the point of a zero degree. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, uh, it seems to me, an extremely challenging and, can I say, seductive speculation. Uh, because I think one of the things we need to acknowledge feeling in ourselves is precisely that wish for <laughs> a return to a simpler organismic state. The question to me is the, is the relation between the death drive and croyance. And? And croyance and belief. Yes. To believe that one, to, to wish to be with God in saying, for example, Allah is great, is, it seems to me, a more or less open and direct expression of the death wish. But on the other hand, uh, not to uh, not not to backtrack and rehabilitate violence because what I said before is, is really <laughs> my stance on these things. But on the other hand, it's clear that there's a sense in which one might believe in something that affirms life, and that if you know, given the premise of the necessity of belief. Uh, which, in a certain sense, for example, Marx acknowledged, uh, it, one might at least think of education as a matter of cultivating those beliefs in something that affirms life, rather than, rather than in something that makes us wish immediately to leave life so as to be with something higher. I totally agree with you and with your comments. I just wanted to, I just wanted to add that um, I really think that the definition that was given by Freud in the outline of what is death drive is extremely important because it shows that death drive is important in every, even in in the thinking process. It is to separate and to think we have to put things together when little children, you teach them that an apple and a pear, they are fruits. But he also has to learn that an apple is different than a pear and they have to be separated. So death drive is in the thinking process of every day's life. But what you mentioned, it can also go to this belief of a, 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 a total tranquility and, that and, beyond. and beyond. And that, yes, of course. Uh, I have two. Um, you, you wanted to speak, yes, and then Jean-Pierre. Jean Jean-Jacques, yes. yes. Quelques mots pour rappeler que Freud, que Freud disait que devant l'incomplétude narcissique de l'humain, du fait de Darwin, du fait de Galilée et du fait de l'inconscient, il y avait deux sortes de réponses. Où c'était les armes et le meurtre, et ça s'appelle barbarie, où c'est la parole et le droit, et il appelle ça civilisation. Je trouve ça absolument formateur et ça nous met tout droit dans la question de l'éducatif si on a un rôle à jouer au niveau de l'éducation nous les psychanalystes 
c'est d'entendre les éducateurs peut-être leur dire ce genre de phrases de façon acceptable et il me semble là que ça répond à la question que Freud se pose dans la citation que j'ai faite de son texte de considération actuelle où il nous dit que c'est une énigme que les individus et les nations même en temps de paix peuvent se haïr s'arborer, s'arborer, se haïr se, se, se refuser pour lui c'est une énigme ça tient à quelque chose de l'énigme on est en 1916 le, le génocide arménien vient d'avoir lieu ses enfants, ses fils sont à l'armée à la guerre il, il sait de quoi il parle il sait de quoi il parle et, et je crois qu'on peut tenir compte de ce qu'il dit à ce niveau là et pour la répondre à Zoulé sur l'identification et comme le très beau mot que tu utilises de cette inquiétude cette inquiétude sur, hein, sur comment tu appelles ça le, ton texte, le mot que tu dis bon je verrai après mais c'est le il me semble que nous quant à l'identification elle est sans arrêt en, en réflexion on est sans arrêt en train spontanément par nos rêves à réguler notre identification nos identifications on ne peut pas demander à des gamins qui ont une fragilité identitaire à en avoir une de solide. C'est aussi bien les jeter dans, les, dans, dans, dans le fanatisme. C'est extrêmement délicat cet enjeu. C'est extrêmement délicat, c'est ça que je voulais dire. Voilà. S'il faut traduire... Freud Uh, spoke already in 1916 of the enigma of this destructivity and hate and that is an answer to the to the uh, aide la faiblesse l'incomplétude weak vulnerability of, of hu the human it's an answer to human vulnerability so there, there are two choices or education and the work of civilization and he didn't say that but uh, I think I was thinking of Kulturarbeit yes. and or barbarism yes. Yes, I think uh, with the question of uh, uh, Paul Free, maybe we are reaching to a point that Freud has leave as a question. A, que uh, a point where Freud has only give something for us to, to, to look for. Uh, because he, he says it, I, I think, in, in a special way, why to prefer to be dead, to, to answer to the death drive, to prefer to be near the father which is in the sky, I mean the father of the religion. Why to prefer death? Because it's like that, that uh, the mass murderers, they know they will, they will die as well. Uh, And uh, I think that uh, uh, Freud has not answered to the question, what is a father? He has not answered because there is no possibility of answer in the sense that a father is always a son. And there is a choice between 
the dead father or the son who wants to be a father? And he can't answer to this question. I mean, and uh, on this point, to be like the father is to be like the dead father. I mean, when a son wants to be a father, he identifies himself to the dead father. He wants to kill his, fa his own father. And so there is a circle. And there we have maybe a question to, to answer to. Something that Freud has not solved, I think. Mania? things to respond to the panel and um, I, I'm, uh, I teach community college for many years and I also teach uh, students who have difficulties with English, uh, immigrant students. Uh, I run a program for them and I'm also a psychoanalyst in private practice so I have a little bit of both of these fields. I wanted to say one thing about the idea uh, Dr. Fry said about uh, love of understood ideas and to touch on the point of um, this, and Jean-Jacques's point of the seductions of violence mm -hmm. and to maybe hypothesize that it's making understood ideas less understood or putting castration as an uh, 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 opening to combat the seductions of violence uh, on the part of teachers and the part of opening discussion that makes makes something possible, right? That there is, and, re, and we should, nobody said today, I mean, the important point that, uh, Education is one of the impossible professions for Freud, right? So we're dealing with a, a, a point of impossibility. And to kind of make that point of impossibility uh, exciting and the point that we all share, that we can't finally, finally have an answer to. The death drive would be on the side of the finally, right? So uh, that was one one. one point I wanted, the first point. Uh, so the idea that under, understood ideas lack. Mm? that understood ideas are never finally understood or could always be understood another way, right? So that's the opening towards education. Uh, that was one. And then the other is that I think that some, I think that still, in France, il y a une distinction assez grande entre l'éducation et la psychanalyse. Et pour euh, ici, souvent, euh, surtout pour les jeunes, aller à une, une espèce d'université, un community college, quelque chose comme ça, c'est la première fois qu'il peut être écouté, entendu, qu'ils ont les discours, c'est très excitant, c'est très neuf. C'est rien à voir avec le maître qui, qui pèse quelque chose dans l'étudiant. So, for some of them, it's it's fantastic and revolutionary to come to school. They can talk about sex. They can talk. They feel they can talk about anything. So um, these these they're not as separate as they used to be a long time ago. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, just a quick response. I wanted to apologize for the phrase. I didn't mean by understood ideas received ideas. I meant ideas thought through autonomously. Uh, with the understanding, of course, that they always need to be thought through again. At the risk of um, responding as the superficial American psychoanalyst, um, just a couple of thoughts. Uh, I, the, I'm so glad to be here, and um, I would like to be able to stay longer, but I can't in these issues. But especially regarding education, um, 
like you, I, I for 14 years uh, ran a pro started and ran a program in an alternative public high school in Chicago, working with mostly kids, adolescents, and gangs. Um, having most of whom had experienced unspeakable trauma by the time they're 10, 12 years old, um, and their, their involvement in the gangs begins to make absolute sense, that having had the experiences that they've had, had any of us had similar experiences, we too would have wanted to be a part of something beyond ourselves as a way to repair the damage of that original trauma. Um, on the surface, and again, remember, I said I'm, I was trained in Chicago. I used to sneak into lectures of um, Heinz Kohut, who had obviously a great influence on my psychoanalytic career. Um, one of the fascinating things when you observe what looks on the surface like the most self-destructive behavior and a wish to die, um, that, you know, by the time the kids are sent to the alternative high school, that's what they're up against. It is amazing and remarkable and something that's humbling as a psychoanalyst to see that when we provided treatment right in the school, psychoanalytic treatment, individual and group treatment right in the school, so they would have math class and then they might come to a group. They would have English class and then see an individual therapist who was either an analyst or psychoanalytically oriented. The transformation in a relatively short period of time of that aggressive, violent behavior is remarkable. The experience of being listened to, being heard, having an opportunity to have someone witness one's internal state, and the transformation of that what seems like um, inevitable uh, a violent behavior like a gang experience provides begins to fall away. Um, the, the death instinct, if you will, begins some kind of a transformation into a wish to live, into a wish to learn. Now, we've all experienced this in our offices, but to see it dramatically in terms of adolescents who are so violent by the time they've come to school, high school, and to see the little bit of, um, of, of a, a compassionate, empathic experience become transformative, like I said, is very humbling to the psychoanalyst. And I think the question is, um, is there something we can learn from that at the risk of sounding superficial. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> it's not superficial. Yes. No, I just want to add something what you said. That is to say, we, we cannot divorce education from the social-cultural environment. And of course, the creation of institution at the time, or, or, or the problem of institution at the time of Freud, was completely different uh, than what we have to cope with. That is to say, sexuality is no more an issue 
in repression. The market has invaded our way of life and the market is extremely permissive in relation to our drive, our instincts. It's very permissive. And of course, in this social cultural environment, uh, the identity formation is much more complex and has become, in a way, a sociological issue. One should not forget that the terrorists in Paris were all coming from prison, delinquency, criminality, and so on. It means that they have totally failed uh, the, the process of the identification. In other words, we cannot discuss education in the old way, in the way it is perhaps still authorized to uh, the elite, which has a way to promote uh, the elitist education with certain tutors, professors, and so on, going to Harvard and Yale later on, if the parents can afford it. it we are living in a very, very divided society where a lot of people, especially um, in, uh, outside the cities in France, are totally devoid of the normal um, uh, educational process. Yes, uh, thank you. I, I would like to add something uh, which is linked to all what was said now. Uh, in the construction of the ego of a little child, let's say about four years old, uh, when there is a difficulty, the, the child may have a, a, have a phobia. He, he may become phobic, which is a system of a defense system. When the if this phobic defense cannot be constructed because there is a failure, there are more uh, serious difficulties. Shall I take an example? All the child can become phobic and have a phobia of cats, like little hands with horses. But if he cannot construct this phobia, because the environment is not good enough, instead of that, he will not have a psychic defense, but he will start saying, I do not like cats. And from I do not like cats, he can go to I hate cats, and then to all cats are hateable, and finally, we should kill all cats. Yes. I should, for what concern, after me, today, as always, numerous factors of social cultural or political unrest which underlie contemporary discontent produce in individuals at the loss frequent identity disturbances 
more destabilizing than the mere feeling of disquiet. Individual identity problems are complicated by a new uneasiness. They are now due to insidious instability produced by external disturbances, social, economic, cultural, and political, subtly tangled together, exercising their combined destructive effect on a disoriented subject who feels lost. This disturbance intervene with the internal crossroads of identity uncertainties, creating fragility in the destabilized sense of self. Thank you. I think we will we will end this panel. Uh, I want to thank the speakers and to thank everybody. Afternoon meeting, which will start precisely at two o'clock. Okay.